All right. Well, good morning, Summit. What's happening? I appreciate um, you guys bringing out a chopping block for me. That's cool. Um, it's good. Could preach a sermon, make a salad. This is loud, I think. I don't know if it's loud. Is it loud? It's all right. Ow. Whatever. All right. Very good. So I'm, I'm Nick Ballinger. Um, I'm, can, we, can we turn the monitors off? Does that work? Can we do that? Because all I'm hearing is myself, and I like to hear these people. So I, just, I don't know if that's possible. I'm a diva. All right. So um, I didn't think I'd say that on stage. So anyway, um, don't record that, Seth. Um, so um, I got a new job here. Um, you may have seen me around. I have to wear suits and ties and stuff, and I'm really against that. I think God is not for that. Nowhere in Scripture can I prove anybody wore a suit and tie. Um, so I don't think it's biblical, but I'm the executive director of the Christian Leadership Center here at Charleston Southern. Um, so if you need anything from me or from us or anything like that, let me know. Um, we'll take care of you uh, as best we can, I guess. I don't know. Um, so today, just going to keep it really simple. Um, John asked me to preach, and I said I would. And um, thank you. You're awesome. And then, um, and then craziness ensued. Um, back muscles were pulled, stress was added, I got a sty, what is that, right? I got this bulbous eye thing going on now, so that's crazy. It looks like I was beat up in a fight. Um, you know, Eric, it was Eric's fault. Uh, so anyway, but this morning, really simple, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, all right? So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, um, and we're just going to look through it. There's absolutely nothing that I'm doing today that you couldn't do at your house by yourself, Okay, um, you know, so there's, there's nothing like that um, being done. There's, there's no craziness in there. Um, I'm a CSU grad, graduated in 2004. Go Bucks! And there it is. And thank you, Zach. And um, so I uh, did theology and English here. I did a, a master's of theology at Liberty. I'm finishing an MDiv at Southern, and they tell me I'm starting my PhD next fall, so we'll see what happens. Pray for me. Pray for my wife, really. Um, so anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And four is what we're looking at today. So I'm not gonna, we're not going to read two chapters. I'm not going to do that to you guys. All right, but we are going to look at two of them today. So I wanted to kind of check that out. Um, if you know anything about Corinthians, I know there's a lot of, a couple of you in here that are theology people, but if you know anything about Corinthians, and Paulette was talking to me this morning about it, he was like, what are you looking at? I said, Second Corinthians. He said, you mean Fourth Corinthians? Uh, you know, because there's that whole thing about Paul actually wrote, you know, probably four letters to the church in Corinth, and then uh, we don't have two of them, and so that sort of thing. But in our Bibles, it's the Second Corinthians, so that's what I'm going to say, all right? So that's where we're going to be today, Second Corinthians. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. The church in, church in Corinth, uh, Corinth has issues, um, just a lot of problems. If you read First Corinthians, there's a dude hanging out with his mom, you know, you know what I'm saying? And um, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, but that's not where we're at today. We're in Second Corinthians. So if you understand the church in Corinth and kind of what they're coming from, you kind of go, all right, I see what we're doing here. So um, let me read the passage. We're going to start in verse 12. I'll give you some backstory uh, before that. But we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 6 today. So, um, so we've got this idea of Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying we're ministers of the new covenant. The old covenant is gone and we're ministers of the new covenant, okay? It's different. It's not the Old Testament. It's not the old covenant law from Moses. It's the New Testament, new covenant way of Jesus who is a fulfillment of the law, something that we couldn't do, 
all right? So that's kind of where we're at. So let's look at our passage. It's chapter 3, verse 12 is where we'll start. And it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. From what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who has said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, we're going to pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you chose to have it written down. Thank you that you chose to have inspired people do this. Thank you that you gave it to us through your Son, Lord, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. God, thank you for this church. Thank you what it means um, on this campus and in Charleston and in the world, God, whether that be in Ethiopia or in Peru or other parts. Lord, you're ministering your gospel through us. And so, Father, um, we just thank you so much uh, for all that you've done. We thank you most importantly for Jesus Christ. God, preach this morning through me. Speak through me, Lord. Let nobody care who's on the stage. God, we are just humble and simple people just trying to grasp an image of a great God. So, Lord, you do that through your word. Uh, let it not return void as it doesn't. God, but you, you speak in your power. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 3. So it says, and I wanted to give a couple of context things here, okay? First... You need to understand that the word veil is repeated like a thousand times in the passage I just read. Now, not really a thousand times, it's an exaggeration, but a lot. And so as we're going along, or if you're already bored by now, go ahead and start counting how many times the word veil is in there and be like, man, that's crazy. He was right. It's in there a whole lot. Okay, you can do that if you want to. Take the time. That's fine. Um, but it's in there a lot. And so what happened was one day, I was a high school, I'm a high school Bible teacher, or used to be a high school Bible teacher, okay, basketball coach. I had tiny little high school students. High school students, where are we having high school students in the house here? No, no high school, one high school, yeah, crazy individuals. Um, so, you know, is it, you know, high school, yeah, okay. So people are, it's like as soon as you say, are any high school students, people are like, that one. Um, so that sort of thing, but it's, it's, they're crazy people, but what's good is that we could teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter in our school, and so it was fantastic. It was expositorily done, um, and it was really interesting. We spent a lot of time 
checking out 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what happened was I was reading this passage and teaching it to my class, and I began to see, good gosh, the word veil is in there so much. And a simple, you know this already, but a simple Bible thing is if you see a repeated word or phrase, you pay attention to it. You know, more so, or maybe not more so, but you definitely go, hmm, God said that twice. He could have picked any word whatsoever, and he said this one a lot of times. And so that's interesting. So we need to pay particular attention to that. Also, there's a couple of things we need to note before we go any further. First, we need to understand the idea of how the temple was built, right? So simply put, you've got this uh, outer court and inner court. You've got a veil, and then you've got the, ho- the, the holy place, and then the most holy place, which is where the holy of holies resided, which is where the presence of God was um, for the people of Israel, right? So, you see that, that sort of idea. There was this giant veil, and it was pretty crazy, Robert. I didn't know this when we were playing up here. Um, she, she's talking about the veil in the song we just sang, actually, and so that was really neat. That was cool. I didn't see that. Um, so, this veil that kept, what was it? It kept God from man, in a sense, or man from God, in a sense, right? It was a giant, huge thing. You probably know about it. Um, if you haven't, read the Gospels. It talks about it in there. When Jesus died, it's torn in two from top to bottom. So there's that. The priest would go in once a year, a Jewish Day of Atonement. We call it Yom Kippur is what it's on your calendar. It's weird. It still pops up on our calendar, but it's on your calendar. And so that sort of thing. And the priest would go in once a year, and he would make um, atonement or sacrifices for the sins of himself and the people. Okay? And the people really couldn't, they couldn't get in there. They couldn't get into where the presence of God. He resided right here on top of the mercy seat in between two cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So that's pretty cool. So we know that. And then secondly, we understand that Moses had an encounter with God on the mountain to where his glory passed before him. And it was his face was so shiny that he put a veil over his face. Now, some people would say uh, they didn't want to scare people. And so Moses had a veil over his face. But we just read um, that the shininess or the glory of God was actually parting away from Moses' face. And therefore, he didn't want people to see that the kind of the time that he'd been with God, the glory of God that he had known is actually leaving him in a sense, right? So those two things we need to know before we begin. And and now hopefully we do. So verse 12, since, anytime it starts at since, anytime you get therefore, anytime it starts in a but, you always gotta, you always gotta look and go, oh gosh, I gotta read the context of this, right? I mean, you think about like uh, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, right? You can't, you can't just start there. Nobody sends an email halfway through, okay? You don't just like call up Seth and Seth's like, hey, this is Seth. And I'm like, and that's why we put the cat in the oven. And he'd be like, stop calling me, man. You know, and he'd just hang up. That's fine. Okay. So we never, we never do that. So I'm going to ask you to go and read that on your own. I tried to give you a little bit of it, but go and read that on your own. I'm going to start at 12, all right? So since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What hope is this? I know Summit is a talkback church, so uh, I've been here for years, and then we left, and then we came back, so I know you people. So, all right, so Summit is a talkback church. What hope? What hope is Paul talking about here? I'm looking at you, religion majors. Jesus, good, church answer, fantastic. Jesus? Yes, Jesus. And so that's good. That's fantastic. So yeah, he's talking about the hope of Christ. Now what he did was he was talking about originally this idea of the old covenant, right? And in the old covenant, there was no hope. What was the old covenant? It was a bunch of law, right? And what does the law do? 
the law shows you where sin is, okay? So if I'm driving down the road and I look over and there's a sign that says 35 miles per hour, I know that anything past that, yes, Robert, past that is speeding, okay? That's the limit, not the beginning point. And you know who you are. And so that sort of thing. But it's one of those deals to where that's the limit. So what is, so, so here's my line. What is, what is illegal? That, that's illegal. Okay, that's what the law does. Now, can it do anything for me? No, it can just show me where I've screwed up, right? Um, you know, it's not like you got a ticket or something and the officer comes over there and he's like, hey, Robert, I'm going to have to give you the ticket you were speeding. And then the sign comes up out the ground and walks over to you and is like, sir, it's okay, I was... I was just kidding. You know, like the sign isn't going to do that. The law can't save. The law can only point out your sinfulness next to God's holiness. And so there is no hope in that. And that's why the Old Testament was constantly pushing this idea of Christ. There must be hope that's coming somewhere. We don't have it. They can't even get to God. So Paul says, we have this hope. And now we have this hope. So now we're going we're gonna to minister in a bold way, not like Moses, Verse 13, who would put a veil over his face. So there's the first instance of the word veil, right? I'm not going to count all of them. Over his face so that the Israel's, Israelites might not gaze on what was being brought to an end. Now, why is it brought to an end? Because we're not yet glorified, okay? We're not in a glorified state, you know? No one here, even if you went to like the suntan booth or you got some paint and you just painted your face. I had a friend one time, he came downstairs to his daughter's room and he opened the door. She was three. She was purple. He, she had just gotten up in the middle of the night, grabbed a purple marker, and was like, body paint. You know? and, and so he showed up. I said, Josh, why are you late? He was like, I had to wash Izzy. And I was like, why? He was like, she was purple. And then he showed me the picture. She'd colored her whole body. It was awesome. And so I got the purple child running around. No. Anyway, so that sort of thing. But you, but you see this idea of it's being brought to an end because he's not in a glorified body. Now, for Christians, after this life, then you will be in a glorified body, and things will be perfect. It'll be good. You know, um, anything that I've got wrong, you know, with me, which is a lot, anything I've got wrong with me will be fixed at that point in heaven, which is good, you know, so won't have to count carbs and all that kind of stuff, right? So, verse 14, but their minds were hardened for this, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Why? Because there's still no way to God. Even when people are Jewish today and they practice the scripture, they're just hoping for a Messiah at some point. There's still no way to God. So the old covenant, that veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. And we know that for sure because why? Well, because it was torn at his crucifixion. That was a symbol, right? He was showing, I have made a way to the presence of God. It is through me. You know, we can, obviously we can go to Acts or we can go to John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If the answer is no one, well, then that's, that's simple. That's easy. Even in the Greek, it's no one, right? So it's just how it is. So we know that the old covenant is good to show us our sinfulness, but the new covenant is better because it shows us Christ. So we see this idea that the same veil remains unlifted. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts. So now he switched it, right? He said a veil that Moses was wearing, and now he's talking about a veil spiritually over people's hearts. So that's interesting. Where, where else would we say, okay, so we got a, 
So here's what we're going to keep in our heads as we're going through this this morning. There's a veil that Moses used to wear. There's a veil that's spiritually over people's hearts. There's a veil in the temple keeping man from God. Matter of fact, there's a veil used in marriage, isn't there? Between the bride and the groom. It's okay. So we're going to hold that in our heads as we go through the rest of this passage. And I want you to see how good God is. Like, he's, he's crazy good. Um, he's really, really good at writing things uh, and everything else he does. Um, so it says, a veil lies over the hearts. Now, verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The bride can be with the groom. The man can go to the holy of holies. Why? Because Christ has made a way. Okay? So now the Lord is, spirit, is the Spirit. We're good with that. That's fine. He's the Holy Spirit. Okay, good. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's just true, you know? And that's not something necessarily we, we, we talk about a good bit, but it is something that's true. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, you know? So what, what does that mean? Well, let me ask the question. I mean, did you ever, when you were growing up, did you, or even now, did you have stuff that you kept hidden? From people, from your parents, you know, stuff like that. Um, did, I mean, did you have anything hid under the bed? Did you have anything hid in a closet? Did you have, I mean, did you, did you, what about when you went to go do something evil? Was it, was it at night, you know? My brother and I, Stephen, we used to steal um, <clears throat> signs from neighborhoods um, when we were little. And by little, I mean, it was last week. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it, was, it was when we were like 15, I could drive, you know? Um, and so... We, were, uh, we would just go out. Now, we wouldn't keep them. Robert's already judging me. We wouldn't keep them. We would put them back. We would just put them back upside down. Okay. <laughs> it's upside down. No one cares. And so, you know, but it's, that's just kind of how it is. Like, we would go back and we would take like, the signs off of this Pebble Creek subdivision that I used to live near. If you lived in Pebble Creek, I'm sorry. Um, and so we would, and then we would go and we'd just put it back up there and be like, it's, it's upside down because we're funny because we had no lives, let's be honest. I mean, we're 15, we're teenagers, we can drive, and all we're doing is stealing street signs and putting them up upside down. These, these are not cool guys, okay? Um, so you guys were like, oh, I thought he was something, talking about something terrible. I mean, probably, but still, think about that. Like, was it something you invited your mom to? You know, hey, mom, we're going to go steal signs. Would you like to come? You know, you're short. You could probably do it, right? My mom's like five nothing. And she's awesome. Um, so I'm like, hey, mom, how you doing? You know, like that sort of thing. And you could just, you know, you could probably carry it real well, right? You know, there you go. Just, you, know, you could sneaky. You could be sneaky. You could be ninja-esque. And so that sort of thing, you know, get some face paint for your mom, put a little thing, send her out. And so, you know, but did you ever, when you were ever, I mean, seriously, show of hands, when you went to go do something evil, were you like, parents, would you like to come along? Yeah, me neither. What about that moment when, like, you were watching a movie? Has this ever happened to you? When you're watching a movie and it's on TV or whatever, and your mom's sitting, like, on the couch, and you're, I used to sit on the floor. I always sit on the floor. I'm sitting on the floor. She's sitting on the couch. We're watching a movie, and then, like, a, and a more adult scene happens, and you're just like, and your mom's sitting back there, and I don't know what she's doing because I ain't looking at her. You know, like that sort of thing. Or like, or like somebody, I, okay, this really happened. One time we were watching something and somebody like cussed, but it was like a new cuss word. I don't know. And it was like, and I knew about it because I was cool. I was in high school. And so, you know, but my mom, she asked me what it was. She was like, what does mean? And I was like, I don't know. I cannot help you. 
And um, I'm sorry. And so, you know, that sort of thing. But that's what happened. It happened to me as a high school teacher. Because, and you have to, listen, this is one of my beefs with the, with the high school and the college kids, all right? If you change, because I'm 35, I'm old, all right? So I'm not old, but I'm getting there. If you change a term, let people know, all right? Because I got asked what I was doing this weekend, and I said, I, oh, you know, watch some Netflix, chill. And they were like, did you hear what he said? And I was like, what? That's what I'm doing, you know? And then my teenager kids that I was teaching, they were like, Mr. Ballinger, you can't say that. And I was like, it's what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to sit and probably watch an entire series. You know, like, that's just what I'm doing. And they were like, no, that's not what it means. I was like, what does it mean? And they told me, and I was like, you bunch of perverts. That's what you are. You bunch of perverts. You sit there and you take healthy, regular terms and you just twist them and then you I'm not talking to y'all. And so, like, that sort of thing. And it's, it's, that happens, though, right? I mean, but, but whenever I went to go do something bad, I didn't invite my mom or anything like that. And you probably didn't either. Which means what? It had to be hidden. You had to hide the bad things you do, right? It, you went somewhere you weren't supposed to. Make sure nobody finds out. You said something maybe in your car when you were screaming out profanities at somebody who cut you off. But you're like, make sure the windows are rolled up, you know? What were you? Were you screaming a, a bad word at me? No, I was singing to the song. You know, like that's what I was doing because I'm small. Anyway, but it's one of those things, you know, like when you come up with stuff like that, how many of you have just like invited your friends to come along? You know, nobody has because it's not with the Spirit of the Lord, is it? There's not freedom in that. There's restriction in that. You know, if there's freedom in the Lord, then I can invite you. If I say, Julian, hey, man, you want to come hang out with me? We're going to go do this. If it's done in a Christian way, if it's done to honor God, I can invite all of you to come with me. I can have any conversation I want to with anybody I want to and say anything I want to as long as it is biblical, as long as it's Christian, as long as it follows what Christ would actually say. But it's those times when I'm like, hey, man, shut the door. We need to talk about this. What am I about to say that can't be heard or said by other people? Is it not edifying? And if it's not, why is it coming out of my mouth? You know, so there's freedom in Christ, but I don't know how much we enjoy that. You know, so I want, I want no, that's a side point, but I wanted to point it out to you. So it says, verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. You know, man was made in the image of God, right? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, let us therefore make man in our image, right? And so he, he does, he makes us in his image, you know? And what happened? Genesis 3 comes along, fall of man, and then all of a sudden your image is marred. It is not as it should be. There is now death, there is now pain, there is now suffering. This is not as it should be. And we look around the world today and we know this. This is pretty clear. This isn't how it should be. You read about people going into schools and shooting kids and stuff like that, and you go, that's just terrible. That's not how it should be. Something inside of you screams out, this is wrong. Someone fix it. So we have our hope in Christ in that. But we see this idea of we're being transformed into the same image. The image of what? The image of God. Right? And so we see this idea of being transformed. And we know that the word of the Lord is transform, transforming. Right? Again, Romans 12. So we go, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not any longer conform to this world, right, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, originally our thoughts were bad or against God or sinful or however you want to say that. And now, because of Christ, they are transforming. They are being renewed. You know, used to, you would look at someone or some lady or some guy or whatever, and you might would think some bad thought. Now you're looking at them and you think, this is a person who is my brother and sister in Christ. Or you look at them and you think, this is a person who could potentially be my brother and sister in Christ. Right? So we look at people with those kind of eyes. My wife, she loves to say, um, and, and I agree with it as well, uh, we, we, we're coming from a church uh, plant, uh, a replant in the, in the inner city kind of downtown Greenville area. Not the, ooh, downtown Greenville, but the, mm-mm, don't go there, downtown Greenville area, right, uh, where, where I kind of grew up. Um, and so, so Summit has been awesome. They've come down twice now. Uh, Seth's been with them and a couple other guys. Zach, Zach was with them last year. And, and um, they've helped us build some, uh, rebuild some bathrooms and, and just go out in the street. They've gone out and witnessed to people and stuff like that. So it's been really cool to have, uh, even though I had left Summit, have Summit come down and help us. And now I'm back. And so that's great. But it's one of those things where um, when we're there, man, we deal with so much drugs so many, so many people who are prostitutes with such homelessness, um, with alcoholism like crazy. And Brandy, my wife, she always likes to say, you know, when we were kids, nobody thought it would go this way. You know, you ever look at a person, a homeless person on the side of the road or something like that, and you just imagine them as a four-year-old. Do you think this is what they planned? You think when they were playing with a little matchbox car or something, they were like, yeah, I'm going to be a prostitute one day. No, that's... That's not the plan, man. This, something has gone awry. Something has gotten skewed. Something, something has torn apart. Something is broken. And so if we meet people, when we see people like that, we don't look at them and go, man, those are homeless people. We look at them as potential brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe took a wrong turn, okay? You know? And so we have compassion for them because we know not many of us are that far from doing something that would put you in that same position. So... We see this idea that the word is transforming. And so it's it, it transformed in the same image. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, so because of what we read, this. Having this ministry, the ministry of hope that he was talking about earlier, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So he has a ministry. The ministry is proclaiming the gospel of hope to people. And he says, because of the mercy of God. Now, why would Paul, help me out on this one, why would Paul say, because of the mercy of God, I can preach the gospel? Was Paul a good dude originally? No, he killed Christians, okay? He drug them out of their homes and had them killed or killed them himself. We can't really prove that either way, but we do know that it says he was torturing and terrorizing the church, basically, right? So this dude used to go in and take Christians out of their homes and have them killed. We know that with Stephen for sure. You know, they laid the clothes at the foot of Saul and he gave approval to his death, right? So if we know that, then he says, I have this ministry now. He preaches the gospel now. And he says, because of the mercy of God. Because of the mercy of God in his life, what should he be doing? He should be in hell is what he should be, right? And you know what's funny is that that's where we should all be headed, 
without, apart from the grace of God and, and the mercy of Christ, I am going to hell. I mean, that's just how it is. I can put all the signs back that I t- stole. I can put them all right and paint them new and all that kind of stuff. I can, I can go out and help homeless people, and I can, I can teach people how to read, and I can feed a bunch of people, clothe a bunch of people. I've, I've been to Africa for a couple of months. You know, we, we were in AIDS orphanages holding babies and stuff like that. I could cure AIDS. I could go and adopt all those children. And you know what I'd do? I'd be a really awesome philanthropist who went to hell. That's what I would do. You know, and so we, we see this idea of the mercy of God allows me to stand on the stage and talk to you. The mercy of God allows us to stand up here and sing to, to God together as a body. It's only by his grace, it's only by his mercy that we get to do any of this. And so it's great too because not only does he do that, but he's our sufficiency for it. Like, it's his power. It's not ours. So not only am I up here because God's grace does so, but now anything that's good that comes from me is because God's power does so. So it's fantastic because all it does for the Christian is put you at a place where all you can do is praise the Lord. You know, you think of Psalm 8 where David says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. He really can't say anything else except God be praised. And I don't know if you've had a moment like that in your life. And look, I'm, I'm probably one of the least touchy-feely guys in the world, okay? Um, I, don't, I think my wife's seen me cry twice, once, I look over there because she's sitting over there, once, maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't cry, I just don't, you know, unless, unless I'm like really tore up about something, and so, but you got to think, like, I'm not that guy, but if you have not experienced God, then, then where are we? If this is religion to you, then you're in the wrong spot, man, if this is just rules, if we're just checking boxes, yeah, I went to church on Sunday, then what are you doing? You know, I mean, it's, is, is it not your life? Is it not permeating all aspects of everything, your thoughts, your actions, your words? Is it, is it not something that has grabbed hold of you and is now pushing you towards advancing the kingdom of God? Is there stuff that you do in your life that is not towards advancing the kingdom of God? And if so, Why? You know, and I say that as to myself, obviously, and you probably know that by now, but I, I'm just saying it's, 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 it should be a passionate, overwhelming encapsulation, really, of our lives. And I'm not saying you have to walk around going, isn't God good, isn't God good, isn't God good, isn't God good? I met a guy one time when we had the Summit softball team, and there was a pastor, and he's a great man, he really is, but we do things differently. And so we were doing handshakes, hey, how you doing, hey, how you doing? And every single time he shook the hand, it was, hey, brother, God bless, hey, brother, God bless, hey, brother, God bless. Do we really mean God bless? I mean, all these people, do we really mean that? If he does, fantastic. If he doesn't, stop. You know, like, words have meaning. I'm a big words have meaning guy. It annoys some people. But, th- you know, think before you say something. And, and if you are saying something, make sure you, you're going to do a good job or whatever. But it just, it's one of those things to where I'm not saying you have to be bubbly. Isn't the Lord great? You may have horrible days. You know, a question that you get asked probably is this, the question of theodicy, which is this idea of, like, if God is so good, if he's so powerful, if, if he's blah, 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 why is there suffering in the world? right? And it's a very simple question to answer. Is there anywhere in this book where he said there wouldn't be? Okay, so no, there's not. So why would you think that he said there wouldn't be? Well, because he's good by your definition, not by biblical definitions. 
It's a simple question. Why does God allow blah, blah, blah? Did he say he wouldn't? No? Okay, so quit asking the question. You know, like, I don't, I don't understand that. So if you have questions about that, we can talk further, but that's just a real quick answer. Um, so anyway, so we see this idea, we have the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You know, um, the first couple of years that I was a teacher, I got like sort of depressed, not like one of those get in a dark room, turn the lights off, play counting crows, you know, depressed kind of thing. If you ever want to be depressed or pop the notebook in and just weep, um, you know, it's just such a good movie. They were just beautiful. You know, no, it's, oh my gosh, right? And so it's just like, what are you doing tonight? Being horribly depressed. You want to come over? Julian? No? All right. And so like, it's one of those things to where, you know, I wasn't like that, but I was like, oh, this is bad. Because I had, I felt like I had really taught well, you know. I felt like I had like, uh, done a good job. I even brought in some Greek words. I'm fancy. And so that sort of thing, you know, it's like, you know, in the Greek it says. And so anyway, that sort of thing. And my kids were still, my students, my high school students were still tweeting about how they were drinking. And in class they were telling me about how excited they are for the Lord. And then like later they'd be, you know, sleeping around. And you're like, what are you doing? And so I thought we had this conversation. This is who they were in my classroom versus who they were outside of my classroom, right? Bible teachers here got to be, got to, you know, act like everything's good here. So it's one of those deals. It frustrated me. It made me kind of depressed because I was like, Lord, I'm trying. I'm not seeing anything. Nobody's really clicking or anything. I don't understand it. And it took me to understand that my job is not to save people, Okay. My job is to set up a blind date. That's my job, you know? So I go over to the girl and I say, listen, he's beautiful. I mean, he's just a stud. I mean, wow. I mean, he's shredded, right? You know, that sort of thing. And he's, he's got a job. Mm-hmm. He's got a job. He can, he can pay the bills, that sort of thing. He's, he's in love with Jesus. Him and Jesus are they're like this, you know? And so it's, you can't even tell. It's basically like when he walks, there's holiness just coming off of him. And so like, he's that kind of man. I mean, it's, you're going to love him. It's going to be great. He's fantastic. But she still has to go on the date. And then she has to come back and say, yes, I'm in love with him. You're absolutely right. So I can preach to you, and I can teach to you, and I can tell you all about Christ, but you got to decide whether or not you want to be with him. Not my decision. You know, that's just how it is. You have to make that choice. And you know what we find is that high school students, and Robert, this is interesting, high school students who actually have a personal, spiritual, convictional relationship with Christ that's of their own, normally don't turn away from Jesus when they go to college. It's the ones that were brought up in the church by their mama or drugged there or set in Christian school or whatever that, that said the right answers, did the right things, but they really didn't care. You know? And we can be great moral people, but unless you have a relationship with Christ, you're an awesome moral person going to hell. You, know? you did the right thing. You returned that wallet. You're still going to hell. You know? like it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I would lose heart, but we don't lose heart. Why? Because we have the hope of Christ. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, which is important because people are doing that all the time right now. They're twisting Scripture. Isn't it interesting when Satan tempts Jesus, he uses Scripture to tempt Jesus? Just throw that out there. All right. Um, so, um, tamper, but the open statement of truth. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God. Now he says this, and if our gospel is veiled, if it's covered, it is veiled to those who are perishing. All right? In their case, the God of this world, he's referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of who? The unbelievers. Now, did it say Satan blinded the minds of these people and therefore they cannot believe? No. It said he blinded the minds of, they were already in the position, unbelievers. So therefore they are now blinded to it, right? It's an interesting thing when you look at Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and you see Jesus kind of teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's like just teaching. You've heard it said, but I say these kind of things. And then all of a sudden he switches and he's in parables. Now all of a sudden he's not straightforward teaching. He's teaching in parables. It's confusing to the disciples. Why is he doing that? So that the gospel would kind of be veiled, right? Why? Because they're unbelievers. You know, isn't it interesting, like, the, the idea of how many times you've probably been in church and never clicked, and then one Sunday you went, and all of a sudden it made sense? That's an interesting thing. We'll talk about that in a second. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So what, let's go back to the temple veil, right? The temple veil separated man from God. So if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, because apart from God, we perish. Right, so we see that. It says, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to do what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, it's not Paul, it's not Nick, it's not anybody, but Jesus is what we're proclaiming. Ourselves as your servants, they're the servants of the church in Corinth, why? For Jesus' sake. I'm doing this because of Jesus, and what am I doing? I'm proclaiming Jesus. So he says, for God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, if you take um, verse 4 and you take verse 6 and you compare them to one another, they're a bit wordy, but they are interesting. Okay, so it says... Uh, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, in verse 4. And then in verse 6 it says, um, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have the image of God and we have the face of Christ. But what are we seeing? The light. What is the light of? The glory of God. Where is it at? In the face of Jesus Christ. And you look all throughout Scripture, and you're going to see people that get to encounter God or an angelic being or something, and it's going to knock them to the ground. You know, we read in Revelation where the sun disappears and the glory of God is actually what is shining upon the holy city. You know, and we think about that in Genesis. The Lord said, what is it? Let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, right? And the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. But where is the light radiating from at that point in chapter 1? He hasn't created the sun yet, the stars yet. It's the glory of God, right, is my, my view. You may hold something different. But that's what I would say because we see at Revelation, that's what's going to replace the sun is the glory of God because everything will be set back to right then, you know. So we see this idea of the light shining in the darkness. And what is it? The light of the gospel. The light of the gospel, you know. The gospel is very simple, 
but also very deep, right? It's, it's deep enough for a man to drown in and shallow enough for a child to wade through. You know, it's that sort of thing to where we sit here and we hear about the gospel daily. You may hear this every Sunday, but does it do anything? Does it actually affect your life or is it something that you're just like, oh yeah, the gospel, that's good. We should be enraptured by this. It should be something that moves us with the heart of God to, uh, to go out and seek the lost. And we see this idea of let the light uh, shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light, what, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do and then we'll wrap up and that'll be it. We're in church sometimes, all, all the time. You know, some people, maybe you're here today and you're just visiting, so maybe this isn't applicable to you, and I'm sorry. But a lot of you are in church, you know, every week. Come to church. That's a good thing. And I, I think it is a good thing. Um, and you hear the gospel. And some of us, when we were little, I had to be at the church all the time because my mom just drugged me. She played the piano, and I had to, I had to go every, every Sunday, Wednesday, all that kind of stuff, and I did not like it. Um, when I was in middle school, I tried to just, like, hide in the parking lot and wait until church was over. Um, but... Anyway, so it was one of those things to where I've heard the gospel, I hear the gospel, but then one day it clicks. And why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit has finally affected your heart in such a way, right? And I don't want to get into necessarily into your Calvinistic views or whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm sitting here talk, telling you that the light, what does it say? The light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has penetrated. You were just hearing preaching, and then all of a sudden, a life was changed. You were hearing preaching, and then all of a sudden, someone's eternity was changed forever. You know, And we celebrate that. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's craziness. I don't care if it's this church or if it's Seacoast or if it's ECBC or wherever. If somebody comes to Christ, yes and amen, right? That's a great, good thing. I don't care where they go to church. But, is, you know, as long as it's, it's a Bible preaching, you know, Jesus is the only way, we're good. I got no problem. And so it's one of those kind of things where we have to understand that the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Now, Augustine says and I'm probably screwing this up, but Augustine says that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, right? And that's what we do. We continually chase after things, right? We try to find less valuable lovers. We try to find less supremely valuable things. We constantly chase after everything. And I believe God even designed some things for us to understand that nothing will satisfy. You know, I can drink as much of this as I want to. I will be thirsty again. I can eat as much food as I want to. I will be hungry again. I can sleep as much as I want to. I will be tired again. Okay? There is nothing that we can do on this earth that will completely satisfy us. And that should show you the temporality of the things that God has created for our pleasure. All right? And for our sustenance, really. And so what we need to understand is that the only thing that will satisfy us is the face of Jesus Christ and the glory of God because you were made in his image for him. We were made for God. We weren't made for God out of necessity. He wasn't sitting there going, man, I could really use some worshipers. Okay? We were made out of God because he is good and because he is loving and for his glory. All right, And why is it a good and loving thing for us to worship God? Because in that is where we are actually satisfied. Can you, just for a second for me, can you just in your head, 
when I was, when I was growing up, I loved Michael Jordan, okay? That'll tell you where I, when I grew up. I loved Michael Jordan. He was awesome. The man was amazing. I, I can tell you his birthday. His birthday is February 17, 1963. All right? He went to Laney High School. He's got brothers, sisters, that sort of thing. He doesn't have sisters, brothers. And so, you know, I can, I can tell you a lot of random, horrible facts. I can tell you why he's better than LeBron. Um, you know, and he is. And so, you know, that sort of thing. Ask Steph. No, it's too early. All right. So, um, but it's one of those things to where I can tell you a lot about that. I'm sorry, Seth. I'm sorry. And so, Seth's over there. Cleveland. Um, anyway, so when I was little, I used to think about what would I do if, if Michael Jordan walked in the house? You know, like, oh my gosh, what, what if he walked in the house? What if, like, I was eating breakfast and he just, like, opened the door and came in and was like, hey, Nick? I'd be like, <gasps> you know, and I would just collapse. I, I would be like, do you know who you are? You're Michael Jordan. Sign everything I have, you know. Sign my body in a non-weird way. You know, like, that sort of thing, right? Like, I mean, you just be bringing him stuff. Here's a grapefruit. Sign it. You know, like, that's just how it is. Mr. Jordan, please. Sign my NyQuil bottle. And so, like, but it's just one of those deals where I would, I would freak out, man. I would lose my mind. Okay, so let's, for right now, let's just imagine in our heads, you meet Christ. Christ appears before you. He stands in front of you. Are there any words? There's not. There's absolutely nothing I could say. I mean, there's nothing I could do. There's no way I could praise him. There's no way I could apologize. I would just be before God. And I would be Isaiah 6, right? What does he say? Woe to me because I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And I, my eyes have seen the Lord. So here is a prophet of God who is like, well, I'm destroyed because I've seen God. I'm undone. And so I'm asking you today, have you experienced God to the point of being, Lord, I have nothing else to say to you. I, I don't have anything. If you don't come through, Lord, that I, I can't possibly do or act or be, I can't live my life knowing that Jesus is not there for me. I need you. I have to have you. You have to be all that I have. You know, are you there in your Christian life to where he is all that you seek and he is sufficient and he is great, greatly to be praised? And we get to read his word, man. You get to open the Bible. Do you ever have a time? Is there ever a time? I'm not talking all the time, but is there ever a time when you're like, I just don't know if I want to pray or if I want to read scripture? I'll just pray scripture, right? Like, I'm a dork. So, you know, that's fine. But it's one of those things to where, like, have you ever been just so like, God is all I want, and it could be this. It could be that your day is just too busy, and you just got too much going on, man. You know, you just got too much stuff to do, but you need to cut some time out. You need to set a day away. You need to take some time off or something. You need to get you 30, 45 minutes and just get on your face before the Lord and encounter him for who he is, and if you do that, you, I mean, you realize exactly how crazy small we are. You know, I'm a little, a little guy standing in a chapel in Charleston, South Carolina. But my God is the creator of the world. And he's the savior for all who would believe. Anybody. 
you know. And so we have, to, we have to see ourselves as that. This idea of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. To behold the glory of the Lord. There's nothing better than that. There's absolutely nothing better than that. Okay? I mean, I love Brandy, but to get to be with God, man, are you serious? I, and I wouldn't be able to do anything. I wouldn't be able to say anything. And I just pray that you know him in that way. Not that I'm awesome or anything, but that's the way he wants to be known. In the fullness of his glory. That's why the veil's torn, because he wants you to be with him. I mean, real quick, we could do biblical theology and just talk about how God created man and walked with him in the cool of the day in the garden and was with him. And then we could go to the tabernacle, and we could do the Ark of the Covenant, and we could do the temple, and we could do the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we could do the Holy Spirit living within us in Acts 1-8, and we could do Revelation where we were glorified, right? And what does that do? Every single one of those instances, God made a way for him to be with his creation. And he's the one that does it. Have you noticed that? We're not the ones that are working to get saved. Every other religion, do something, and the God will do this. Christianity, you guys are screw-ups, I'll fix it. Every single religion, work. Christianity says your works are worthless. If you work, you're not going to earn anything, but because of Christ's work, that is where our faith is. And now because of Christ's work, we can work, but not because of acceptance, not because we're looking for God to give us an attaboy, but because we know our king, we love our king, and we advance his kingdom. That's, that's the idea. So real quick, three points of application. Robert, you guys can come up if you want to. So number one, you may be here today and you don't know God. There's a veil that is between you and God. It's a spiritual veil. It's one that's on your heart. And you can't see him in this glory. And I'm up here shouting about this stuff and you're like, I don't understand that. Okay. Jesus has made a way. So that you can be with him. You know, if, you want to, if you want to come and talk to people, if you want to come down and pray, if you want to do all that, we're going to be available, obviously. But Jesus has made, and I want you to hear that, Jesus has made a way for you to be with him. And, and, and I don't care what you've done. Paul murdered Christians. You know, I know who I am. So because of my sin, Christ still, while we were yet enemies with God, Christ died for us. You know, so, so you can sit there and say, well, Nick, you just wouldn't understand. I'm a, I do a lot of wicked things. Do you think you're beyond the grace of Jesus? Then that would make you more powerful than God. Right? It would make you to where his grace couldn't come and get you because you were more powerful than him. So you just, no, my sin's too big. Jesus can't cover that. Well, now you're telling the God of all creation what he can and can't do? No, he, he died for you. He made a way, and his grace is more than sufficient. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Two, maybe you're a Christian, or you say you're a Christian, right? Oh, I'm a Christian. Everybody in the South's a Christian. Good. Let me ask a question. Honestly, if we're, if we're Christians, why isn't Charleston changing? Why isn't this campus changing? Are we just, we're, we're satisfied in being people who show up here on Sunday and just go, that was a really good sermon. I enjoyed that. Where do you want to go to eat? <laughs> you know, okay, the heck with the sermon. 
God should affect your life in such a way that you can't help but tell others, that you can't help but feel his presence. And you sit there and go, well, I just, I don't feel his presence. Well, how much time do you spend with him? I showed my students one time when they were at a Christian camp. They came back from it. They were like, I love it. I love being at a Christian camp. You know why? Because I come back, I just feel God. You know, I just really get that. But in about a week and a half or so, I just don't feel him anymore. And so what I did was I wrote out a schedule of a Christian camp on the board. You know, show up, eat dinner, praise and worship time, small, t- small group time with your, little, you know, with your little group, and then you go to bed. Get up in the morning, praise and worship time, quiet time. Halfway through the day, you do some kind of fun event. At the end, praise and worship time, small group time, blah, blah, blah. Next day, maybe you quiet time in the morning, grab breakfast, go back, church on Sunday. Right? Okay. So how much time did you spend with God? Dude, you spent like four and a half, five hours in the Word, hearing the Word, or talking about the Word. And then you come back to this week, and then you wonder why you don't feel Jesus. How much time did you spend with Him this week? Well, uh, 30 minutes? Yeah, it's not that hard. You don't feel God because you're not with God. You don't spend any time with God. You know, and I'm not saying you've got to feel a certain way. I'm not that guy. But at the same time, if you are someone who claims Christ, let's live as those that claim Christ. That means living as a person who knows their sin and living as a person who knows their Savior. That means living as somebody who says, I am insufficient. I am not able to do this, but by the power of God, I can. Three, this is the last one. Maybe you're good. Maybe today it's been... Nick, I know Christ. I've encountered Christ. I feel Christ. Okay. Are you doing anything with that? You know? I mean, today, I played the bass and I preached. John plays the bass and he preaches. You know? Um, Pollitt's here every morning putting out all the signs. You know, Brandon's trying to run all the sound. These guys were here at eight. What are you doing for the church? Maybe that's mean. Maybe you're like, dang, you know, he shouldn't have said that. Hey, man, we're family. Is that right? So where are you at? What are you doing with this great gospel and this great God that you claim to be just passionately in love with and are excited to see? What are you doing for the church? What are you doing for his bride? And I don't even care if that's at Summit. You can go somewhere else. That's fine. What are you doing there? Get involved. So many people, and you, you and I both know this, so many people go to really large churches so that they don't have to do anything. You know? And right now, maybe we're a little small or whatever, and you guys know in the fall, good gosh, there'll be a lot of people here, and so that's cool. But, you know, it's one of those deals to where what are you doing with what God has given you? Because of the mercy of God, Paul goes out and plants churches and preaches the gospel. Because of the mercy of God you've received, what have you done? We have one simple command, make disciples. Have you made one? Are you working towards making one? And if not, why not? You know, and you go, well, I don't know how to do that. It's really simple. Do life with them. When you and your wife are eating dinner, have that guy and his girlfriend or have that girl and her boyfriend come over and eat dinner with y'all. Why? So they can see what hopefully a, a godly husband and a godly wife do together when they eat dinner. You don't have to go, well, I'm glad you're here for the discipleship group. Open your Bible to Matthew 1, and I'll explain everything. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. 
okay? There is a time for that, but seriously, we've got to do something because, guys, if we're just showing up to church and you're saying you know this Christ, this Christ is not stagnant. This Christ is power, right? Every single command, and I'll stop. I know I'm long-winded. Every single command at the beginning of, at the beginning of time, what did he say? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. After, after Noah's Ark and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. People built the Tower of Babel. They didn't fill the earth. What did he do? He dispersed them. They, felt, they filled the earth then, didn't they? You know, wait here in Jerusalem. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What did they do? They received the power. Did they go anywhere? No. What happened? He sent Saul. And Saul destroyed the church. So what did it do? Dispersed. So we can either disperse because we're called and commanded by God to fill the earth with his image by making disciples through all nations, or we can disperse because of something bad that's going to come upon us. But guys, we got to do something. We can't just keep being sideline Christians and people that just aren't doing anything. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. I don't really do anything with him, but I love him. Can you imagine if I tried to maintain my relationship with Brandy and I never spoke to her? And I just told her every now and again, I love you. I love you. Now, I never spent any time with her or did her anything or served anything or did anything like that, but I just told her every now and again I loved her. We wouldn't have a good marriage. That's how some of us have our Christian relationship. It's just, oh, yeah, I love God, but I don't really see him or do anything. So I don't mean that to be mean. I'm talking to myself. You know that. You know, but out of... We fall into those categories. We've got to see where we're at. So today, you know, this is open. You guys know if you're familiar, we're going to pray. We're going to seek the face of God. If we can do anything for you, let us know. Let me pray for us. Father, you're so good. God, you, you made all that is. Everything that we see, everything that we can be a part of, God, whether that's the breath in our lungs, Lord, you... You made it all. You know it all, Lord. C.S. Lewis says that to pray to you is to tell you something that you know far better than we. But God, you still want us to pray. Why? So you can talk to us. So you can hear from us. God, and we pray that we would just seek your face. That we'd be before you and be people who are changed and, and transformed by the renewing of our mind and impacted because we've seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. God, just to behold you, just to behold your glory, Lord. Lord, please just reveal yourself more and more clearly to us so that we can see your face and be affected in such a way that shows love and compassion to those that are lost. And it's in your name we pray, amen.